Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. As Jordan said this morning as we gather around the table, the death of Christ changed the world. Huge, huge, monumental, pivotal moment. But then he rose up from the grave. Huge, huge, monumental moment. And the scripture tells us as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show forth his death. And woven into that, as we gather together and we proclaim, we believe that Jesus died and changed the world. We believe that He rose again, changing the world, conquering death, showing His power over death. We proclaim together, we believe He's coming back. He said He was coming back, we believe He's coming back. What does that do? As, as we've sung the words of these songs this morning, how can that not encourage us? How can that not motivate us? Another thing that it does is it places a sense of urgency on everything that we do. Everything that we've talked about. We've talked about let, making known who the Lord is. Teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. We've talked about how great that the work is and the, the mindset that we need to arm ourselves. Not with the weapons of this world. Our cause isn't physical. Our cause doesn't have any kind of weaponry that this world has invented. It's, it's a mindset. We arm ourselves that the mind, with the mind that Christ had. To go out and to take this, this mission to the world. That we believe that Jesus is coming back and that it matters. The scripture reading this morning. I won't go through all of these because we've read that in, in this, out of the scripture this morning. And for time's sake, I just want to make a couple of notes out of these verses that we read this morning. They'll come in the last day scoffers. The scoffers are going to scoff, aren't they? You know, when this whole COVID thing came along, you know, if, if you didn't go to church, you didn't have any faith. And then if you went to church, you didn't care about anybody else but yourself, and you didn't care about anybody's health, and there was no way that you could win, right? What are we supposed to do? The scoffers are going to scoff. They've been scoffing for a while now, haven't they? They've been saying, where's the promise of His coming? You're talking about Jesus coming back. You've been talking about it for thousands of years. We're saying, oh Lord Jesus, how long? And we've praised God for His long suffering, haven't we? A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years. That's why when we talked about who the Lord is, we talked about that He's timeless. He inhabits eternity. And He's long-suffering. Praise God that He's allowing that clock that we live by to keep going around so that someone else has opportunity to lay hold on eternal life through Jesus Christ, to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. They're willingly ignorant, aren't they? They, they choose to ignore it. They don't want to accept this knowledge. Simple truths from God's Word. We're, we're stirring each other's minds up. For those of us who have been Christians, most of this material, hopefully none of this material is new to you, but we stir each other up. We remind each other of the sense of urgency that this fact places in all that we do. When we have those tendencies, when we have those desires to want to just coast a little bit, Hey, we're tired. It's, it takes a lot of effort and energy to put together a, a, a meeting like this, to, to assemble each night and to do the things that are associated with that, to, to have the fellowship, especially when we have these restrictive circumstances and things that change up what we've come to know and doing all this flexibility kind of wears me out. I don't know about you. I'm not good at it. It's not my specialty. So that tendency we may have to say, well, now I've got a chance I can put my feet up. I can relax. I can coast. Remember, there's a sense of urgency in all that we do. Remember the power of God's Word. By the Word of God, the heavens were of old. 
He spoke them into existence. Scripture tells us something from nothing. The power of God's Word. The heavens and earth were of old. A reference back to the days of Noah. Here's these scoffers. Oh, you talk about Jesus coming back. It was the Word of God that created the heavens and the earth. It was the Word of God that made a promise that because every imagination, the thought of man's heart was only on evil continually, that He destroyed. He flooded the earth. It was His Word that made a promise afterwards that said He wouldn't do that again. That He would reserve it under fire against the day of judgment. And it's His Word that keeps that in store. It's His Word that takes that promise that He sealed with that rainbow that said, seed time, harvest, that clock that we live by, it's going to keep going on. It's going to keep going on. That's the promise of God. And eventually it's going to stop. We're pointed to the long-suffering of God in the days of Noah. He waited and he waited and he waited while that ark was in preparing. And then the long-suffering was over. The patience was over. And the wrath came. And it was poured out, wasn't it? And we're pointed to remember that. Time is irrelevant to the mighty God of heaven. So don't mistake his long-suffering for slackness about his promise. And that's what we're to be reminded of here. It's not slackness. He hasn't forgotten about his promise. It's his great mercy and love that delays his wrath. Take advantage. We need to take advantage and we need to have a sense of urgency and take advantage to share this message with others. All should come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But to avoid that, the message of repentance. And that's why we talked about in the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ, there's the call to repentance. As he was taken up from this earth in the clouds, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 9, it says, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward the heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. The promise. As he went up, he went up with the promise, right? That he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. God's long-suffering. And sometimes we have that, that, that desire that we expressed in song together. How long? Lord Jesus, how long till you come back? But however long that is, we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, don't we? As He endured the cross by the joy that was set before Him, looking through that cross, we go forward and we look forward to that promise of His coming. In 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Behold God's love. Look at the kind of love that He's bestowed on us. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be like when He comes back. What does He say right after that? But we know 
that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Not if. And say, well, you know, we, we, really, we really think that he's going to come back, that he's going to keep his promise. And if he does, no, none of that at all. We know he's coming back. And we know that when he does, we're going to see him. That we're going to be like him. And what does he say in the next verse? And every man, everyone that has this hope in him purifieth himself even as he's pure. It changes people's lives. His death changed the world. His resurrection changed the world. And his word changes the world today. That word hope, the scripture doesn't use it the way we do. We, we use it a lot of times like a, a wish. Like, a, hey, make a wish before you blow out the candles on the birthday cake, right? Oh, I hope I win the lottery. I don't hope I win the lottery. You know why? Because I've, I don't buy lottery tickets. I haven't, and I'm not going to start. And so I have no expectation of winning the lottery. It would be foolish for me to expect to win the lottery when I've never bought a lottery ticket. And the word hope in the Scripture is an expectation. You see, my expectation is, since I've been gone for a few days, that when I get home, Lord willing, this evening, my mailbox will be full of bills. Why would you hope for that? Because that's my earnest expectation. Because I get electricity and water and all those things, and those people want their money for that, or they'll stop giving those things to me. So I expect that mailbox to be full of bills. Not necessarily a good expectation, but a realistic expectation. And I expect that at the word of the Lord, that I'll see Him. I'll see Him as He is. And I'll stand before Him. And I expect that everyone will. Without exception. There are several passages of Scripture that we're pointed to that teach us of these events. And I want to turn with them and read them with you this morning. If you'd like to grab a Bible and follow along, some of these for, for a reason of illustration and, and an attempt to connect some of these things that I believe many of you are familiar with. But perhaps uh, my goal is that I'll help you be able to connect these things in your mind, line them up a little bit, streamline them, that you may be able to put them to use and encourage you in that way. I may fail in that if I do, forgive me. But that's the goal of, of kind of the illustration that we have this morning. So I want to pick up, I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse number 13, he says, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now that's King James for the Christians who have passed away. They're dead. But Christians that have passed away are referred to as asleep, right? Because what? Because of the expectation of the resurrection. It's not a if. It's a win. It's just a matter of time. You see, in a day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And so the Christians are asleep. He says that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. There are some people that don't have any expectation. And they are often overcome, overwhelmed with sorrow. The sorrow destroys them when someone passes from this life. And he says, I don't want that to be you. I don't want you to be destroyed by sorrow. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, 
to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so in this passage, the Scripture gives us words of comfort to inform us so that we're not ignorant. We're often afraid of things that we don't know, that we don't understand, right? That's often a source of fear. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to expect. And so we're given information, divine revelation, on what to expect, what's going to happen. The Lord is going to descend. He was taken up from this earth. Cloud received him out of sight with the promise that he was going to come back. He's going to descend. There's going to be some markers of that. A trump. A voice of the archangel. He said, the dead in Christ shall rise. He gives an order of things. They're going to rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. God's a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. And so it makes sense that there's a logical sequence of these events that unfold at Christ's return. The King James says that we which are alive and remain shall not prevent. That word means to proceed or to go before. It's about order. And that's what's being given here is information about how these events are going to unfold. So the dead in Christ are going to uh, be raised. We, he's talking about whoever at that point in time may be uh, alive and remaining whenever it is that Christ makes his return. They're going to be caught up. And so that gives us kind of a setting where we're dealing with things on this earth. And he says we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord where? In the air. And he says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so he comforts Christians by letting them know what's going to take place when the Lord returns. And it helps us to have comfort and expectation and hope and to know how things are going to unfold when that time comes. A very similar passage of Scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I I'm emphasize that for a reason because there's a lot of religious teaching in the world that will take you from 1 Thessalonians 4, and they'll say, now the closest passage of Scripture to this passage we find in Matthew chapter 24. And that's false. And then they'll start making some other jumps, and, and, and they're, they're going the wrong way. And so that's why I emphasize that and underscore that. certainly encourage you to study that. If you've got any questions, I, I would be happy to discuss that with you. I know many here would. So the closest passage of Scripture is 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pick up reading verse number 51 there. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. I'm revealing something to you that has previously been hidden. That's what that means. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Remember the language of Thessalonians? Not everyone is going to die. Some will be alive when Christ comes back. So we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So we see this change happening. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Remember the trumpet sounding? And we are informed... From, by divine revelation, that this is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. See, the Lord doesn't need time like we need time. Jesus showed that, remember, when he turned water into wine? That takes us time. And, and, and the Lord showed that he's Lord over time. He inhabits eternity. He doesn't need time. He, his voice can make something out of nothing, and he doesn't need time to do it. That's how powerful that he is. So these things are going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, in a blink. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And so, 
we see these markers. This last trump is going to sound. The dead are going to rise. Everyone's going to be changed. And this mortal is going to put on immortality. We see these passages of Scripture line up. Another passage, another teaching. This one from Christ Himself while He was on this earth in John chapter 14. If you want to turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be. See how they all line up? How all these teachings, and there's a simplicity to it to me that's beautiful. We're educated from God about what's going to happen. There's no need to be ignorant. And there's no need to be afraid if we're where we need to be, if we have the relationship with God through Christ that we need to have. And so we have all of this in God's Word. And I want to notice the context of this. I want to think about these passages. You know, in John chapter 14, what does Jesus say in verse number 1? Don't let your heart be troubled. What's He speaking these words for? To comfort people. Guys, we're going to go through some hard times, some tough times. They're going to get put to the test. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't get overwhelmed. Settle down and take comfort in this, this information that I'm going to give you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What's the context of the passage? We read, I believe, last night. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be anchored. Be steady. Be solid. Don't let these winds of teachings come and throw you all around and get you all stirred up and worked up and, and, and nervous and anxious. Don't let them cause you to, to despair. Don't let them cause you to lose your cool. Don't let them cause you to lose your composure when you're suffering for living the way that God wants you to live. Be anchored and keep overflowing, abounding in the work of the Lord. Stay busy. It's given to comfort and to motivate. 1 Thessalonians 4, if you look by, at uh, verse number 18, he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He taught about the return of Christ, and he said, Use this information to comfort each other. And we do a lot of times, don't we? As we stand by an open grave, a lot of times we'll turn and we'll read those very words, won't we? To comfort each other with this divine revelation that we have. I want to read some more teaching from Jesus about this very same subject we find in John chapter 5, verse number 28. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, it's important to understand that in all the passages we just read about Christ returning and what was going to happen, the audience that they were written to, and the purpose for which they were written. They were written to Christians to comfort them. And therefore, they had no mention of the wicked and what was going to happen to those that were outside of Christ. It wasn't the purpose of the particular writing and the, the reason that the information was given in those epistles at that point. 
But when Jesus taught about this subject, he said the hour is coming which all that are in the graves. See, there's going to be a resurrection and everybody's going to raise up. Everyone's coming up. Everyone's going to hear the call of the master of the Lord of all. They're going to answer the call and they're going to report for judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, verse number 31, he says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. There's a sorting that's going to take place, isn't there? At the end of time, when Christ comes back, everyone is going to be raised up. Everyone's going to be summoned to appear for judgment. And so wherever we're at, this message ought to motivate us, encourage us if we're in Christ, if we're ready, if we're singing from the heart. How long, Lord Jesus, till we shout the glad song? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we can be encouraged and comforted and motivated with a sense of great urgency for our mission. That whoever doesn't stand with us in Christ stands to lose all. To lose everything. Stands to be divided and numbered among the goats. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 7, notice the context once again. And to you who are troubled, Rest with us. A passage of comfort. I struggled a little bit thinking about this being as a passage of comfort early on in my life as I began to read the scriptures because it says, When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, That's, I don't know about comfort there. How is it comforting? Jesus coming back in flaming fire and taking vengeance. Who is he writing to? And why is it comforting? Because these were those who were in Christ, that followed Christ, that believed in the promise of his return. And they might well have been singing, Lord Jesus, how long? How long till we shout the glad song? And he said, be comforted. I'm going to come back and I'm going to execute judgment and justice. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Have you ever seen John 3.16 maybe posted on a, at the end zone hanging over the, the wall at the end when they're kicking the extra point or the field goal? Maybe at another sporting event. Maybe just somebody just has it Bumper sticker to their car. And the religious world likes John 3.16, don't they? We should. Comforting. Words of hope. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Words of great comfort and hope. You know that Greek word everlasting in John 3.16 is the same Greek word in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse number 9. 
everlasting punishment. It's real talk. This is important. And it's urgent. Jesus is coming back and those that aren't ready stand to receive a judgment of everlasting separation. Destruction from His presence. So how is it comforting? He said, those who know not God and obey not the gospel. And so the only way that passage can bring you any comfort is if you know God and you've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, verse number 3, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Someone says, well, how, how do you know if you know God? Someone over here says, I know God. Someone over here says, I know God. And they have these completely different doctrines, these completely different teachings. How do we know who knows God? We need to be concerned right here at first, don't we? We need to ask ourselves the question, do I know God? And how can I know? Do you trust His Word? Do you believe what He says? He says, we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Do we know His Word? Is it important to us? Do we strive to be obedient? First John 5, verse number 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him, that begot loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And so again, we see this concept of love for God being expressed in the way we respond to His powerful Word. That we're confident in it, convicted of it, or faithful. And we respond to it. Only if you've obeyed the gospel. We've talked about that earlier this week. First Peter 4, verse number 17, he says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? What's going to be their end? Their end's going to be punishment. It's going to be everlasting destruction. How does one obey the gospel? We overviewed this and talked about some of these points as we taught the necessity, the need, the urgency for the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, the process is uh, reverse engineered. And he says, whoever, how shall they hear without a preacher? As he kind of takes apart and reverse engineers how a person comes to, to be saved. He mentions the necessity of hearing the gospel. How are they going to hear the gospel without a preacher? You can't believe something that you've never heard. So the necessity of teaching and preaching, that's why Jesus sent out His disciples to make known the gospel so people could hear and that when they believed, they would know that woven into that, as we read in Luke's account of the Great Commission, that the message was repentance and remission of sins. And so the message of the gospel had repentance woven into it. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, and verse number 3, that except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The necessity of confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Romans says that with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so that's why we see that incorporated in people's response to the gospel. They make this confession of faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and they're baptized. We see an example of that in the Apostle Paul's own conversion, where he's instructed by the Lord to meet up with a preacher that the Lord sent to him. And the preacher that the Lord sent to him 
said, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Which is how Romans 10 starts off, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we see that process elaborated on, expanded on, built on in the Scripture. And so that's how one can obey the gospel. And only if one has obeyed the gospel and knows God can they truly read a passage like 2 Thessalonians 1 and take great comfort in it and close the book and sing, How long, Lord Jesus, till we shout the glad song? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's the message. That's the admonition that I leave with you this morning. Jesus is coming back. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, this congregation stands ready to assist anyone who wants to do that. Have this baptistry, it's full of water. There's nothing special about water. What's special is an eternal plan that God had before the foundation of the world. Instructions that he had. A plan for Jesus to be made sin for us at Calvary. That we could be buried, we could die with him. That we could be buried with him. We could come in contact with that blood that was shed there. We could rise up from that water as he rose up. We could rise to walk with Him in newness of life. We could be resurrected out of that water with a new life, a new purpose. And we could have our sins washed away by the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. Faith in the operation of God. And if you need to do that this morning, the brothers are ready to assist you in that and will assist anyone who has that need. If you've done that, are you ready? Jesus is coming back. If you've done that, does that fact... Does that reality, as you gather around the table each week and we show forth His death till He come, does it keep an ever-burning fire underneath you about the urgency of the message and the importance of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you have a spiritual need this morning, we're here to serve one another in love. Please let that be known by having a seat on the front pew while together we stand and sing the song Spence Lake. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.